Okay. Hello and welcome to Tell Us Your Effin' Story, a podcast by franchisors for franchisors, where we go behind the scenes with some of the most interesting characters in the Australian franchising sector. I'm your host, Bruce McFarlane, with my co-host, John Sully, and today we're speaking to Scott Eno, CEO of Flooring Extra. Welcome, Scott. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Righto, Scotty. Tell us your fucking story, man. John, John, it's franchising story. Sorry, I'll get it right at some point. So let's go right back. So before we get into the franchising side of things, so where'd you grow up? What did you do as a kid? What was the, you know, early influences? Yeah. So, um, so it started, uh, grew up in Adelaide, born in Adelaide. So don't like to admit oh, that too often. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we left, uh, left Adelaide when I was eight. Um, it's a, there's a link here. My dad had a, um, sort of hit, hit the point of um, where he was working, where he wanted to be his own boss. So he then bought a franchise, uh, so which was uh, in Carpet. So that was in a regional town called Berry, out in South Australia, a little town about eight thousand population. The catchment was probably twenty five thousand ish up on the Murray. So we um, moved up there, and then give or take eighteen months, two years into it, business had gone fine, performed uh, all that. But um, mum and dad realised it wasn't the opportunity with schooling. Brother was heading towards high school, and they were t- complaining, "Do we send him back to Adelaide?" boarding school which my mum went through as a kid didn't want to do that so then he was looking for an opportunity abroad with in the same business so he was able to sell the business and then we were originally moved to Canberra um, just for a very very short period of time at one school term and then a couple of things happened my grandparents got ill who were back in the morning to Peninsula so dad ended up uh, coming back and bought a uh, Solomon's franchise like in Frankston so back when they were they later fell over and have come back under new ownership but yeah so that was um sort of i suppose the the pathway through and then went to so i came back in into grade five and then so i did all my high school here in uh back in uh back in melbourne what yep. was he doing before that before yeah so the link and this links to you know carpet and flooring so my grandfather was in originally with a company that was uh in the 60s 70s called patterson's it was a like a furniture and they had a flooring department and they existed through sort of various uh parts of Australia and then uh, he went across to run a company called Lacornews in South Australia which is sort of I suppose very well known there they actually converted the old I think it was the Chrysler factory in Adelaide in Anzac Highway they converted into a showroom so it was humongous it was I don't know five acres or ten acres or some crazy number Um, and so that uh, so my grandfather was a director of that business and my dad was the sales manager of the carpet side the carpet part so and then it was family there was a my dad was similar age to the kids that were coming through so he sort of got to where he I probably could get to, I think, is you know, and and then obviously the freedom to do his own thing. So, so yeah, yeah right. so it sort of goes back. There's the sort of the fluff in the vein sort of jokes yeah. that go on, you know, <laughs> sort of born into did it. Did you so. um, did you work in the shop as a kid or? So um, I did uh, little bits and pieces once, you know, sort of yeah. from high school, you know, right. sort of different stuff, like pretty normal sort of thing on a Saturday morning or school holidays, those sort of things you go in for a couple of bucks. But mainly it was actually like uh, both my brother and I both got pushed out on the tools with the with the installers, you know, lifting furniture, pulling up old carpets full of uh, mistreatment from tenants and, you know, the worst of the worst. And it was good. It was good. It was yeah. like, yeah, you get a grounding in what it is and, yeah, all that stuff. So Older brother. Yeah, right two right. years older. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, so. and so big on – and played a lot of sport as a kid as well. So yeah. m- more down the sporting path than the academic path at school, I oh, imagine. I'd like to think I was academic. <laughs> um, I was going to study economics and just didn't turn up. But, um, no, I did all right at school. Maths yeah. was uh, – 
Mass was uh, a strength, so that yeah. was good. That served me well. But um, yeah, certainly sport was a, a good, uh, you know, sort of a good outlet and also a good teacher. I think a lot of the things you think about in business, there's a lot of parallels. If you've played sport at a reasonable level, you can take a lot of things with you, which is uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. What so, were you playing? What sport? Footy and basketball. You know, right. Pretty pretty standard. So what were you yeah. better at? Oh, better at basketball, but then. Um, yeah, it's funny because now my kids, both Blake and Summer, are both uh, playing rep basketball for the club that I played for, Frank's the Blues. And, um, but it sort of stops at sort of at about 16, 18, depending on, yeah, it sort of runs, stops, isn't So I, I switched back to footy and played local footy and had great, you know, great experiences. Because you know, really you're only a little fella, so were yeah. you were you a rover or something? <laughs> that's like it, that. that's it, exactly. <laughs> little yeah. and fast. Yeah, back, uh, back then. You, and you brought Too it, small for basketball, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah basketball, yeah, you got to be It was pretty, Land of the Giants. Yeah. Now it's come back a little bit, but uh, anyway, yeah. 20 years too late. And uh, yeah, and so the lessons you learn in sport sort of helped you as well, like the teamwork stuff and the absolutely. You know, yeah. I think you, you know you can take parallels from everything in life, you know, and you can you know you can do it whether it's you know things you go through with your children or it's things you go through in your you know your marriage or it's those sorts of things. But sport definitely has got heaps when it comes to leadership and you know trying to maintain relationships, but also try and get a message through and drive change or whatever it is. Discipline, and, you know, reward reward for effort, all those things, they, they all line up. Was you your know. mum working in the businesses? As no, well? so mum mum never. Uh, mum was a nurse, so she was a registered nurse, so she it was her career as such, and then um, stopped uh, for for a period. She was she did little bits, and probably around the recession period, like as, um, so that timing was sort of the late eighties when mum and dad sort of uh, were in business in the sort of mid to late eighties. So mm. the recession hit early nineties. So it was say no family. Like my dad's, my grandfather, yeah, you know, was would come in like he lived local, like he's in those retired, come in and help out. And it was very much that. And so mum would be doing the books. The old, I mean, it was all uh, manual stuff at that point, and yeah, you know, that. So, but she wasn't. That wasn't her go. That wasn't definitely not. And she went back to nursing later, which was really good for her from a career point of view because that was what she was more passionate and did your dad like doing what he did or was it just that that was the family thing no 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 he's very much like he um he enjoyed i mean i think all industries um beyond the product or the service or you know that it's the people and you get to know them and there's all of those things and so i think he yeah certainly enjoyed that enjoyed the people he's a natural sort of salesman you know personal guy so he enjoyed that, and the business size suited him. Where you're the face, real face of that business in that sense, you know, real sort of sales, semi-entrepreneurial, you know. So yeah, fitted quite well within that system. Like you know, I think with Solomon's back in the day, I think it was, I think it was the second largest in the country back when they were they were very large mm. at, at one point before they went broke. But um, yeah, why did they go broke? Yeah, they were bloody massive. Actually, don't know all the ins and outs of it, but the family behind it. Um, um, it yeah it went through whether they just overgeared and the recession took a toll on them and then they ended up I'm, I'm not sure I wasn't mm. close enough to it so yeah and when you're at school what did you always think about going following into the family business or was no. there there was no, you know it was yeah. distant like it was the thing you never wanted to do yeah. was, uh, <laughs> I think he was thinking did. of something else yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well, sporting probably, career you know, yeah, yeah, grand, sport, yeah gonna career. be you know play AFL footy I and think <laughs> all those things um venture into your mind um it was the year of michael jordan so his paychecks were looking pretty healthy but all of that um i think i didn't really know to be honest and i think that that impacted me dramatically at school in terms of really locking down i I really admire 
when you see someone young at 16, 17, they're doing their VCE here, mm. you know, and they and they really know what they want to be and they've got that passion for it. They lock in, they give absolutely everything. I felt like I was trying to keep my options open with the subject selection and then studying. But I think you probably cost yourself 10 or 15% in your marks by not having that giving everything. Mm. So, um, yeah, and so I, I ended, up, ended up, I think it was an economics degree, um, that I got in, which was not really what I wanted to do, mm. and probably, in hindsight, something like accounting and that would have been better suited to skill and you know in that. But in the end, done, done the uh, degree on the job. So, yep. Yeah. And you um. So when you were finished school, got some jobs in the you know outside family business. So what what sort of no not oh, well yeah. So um, I did basketball refing just for a. Just yep. for a bit of, uh, bit of obvious, yeah, a bit of bit of money. That's right. The little envelope. It was always good to get that. And then um, I uh, so did deal if you like with my parents that I said I was going to um, not go to uni. We did a trip over to America for basketball uh, in the January after I'd finished school, and we um, in that December January period and sort of had an agreement I was going to work for a year. So I got a job, and um, I think I can't remember who it was now. It was, um, Selling, I was uh, selling security systems. I think it was, and Dad said, "Oh, that's ridiculous. If you want a job and you're going to do selling, because he he sort of organised the job for me, so I got a job back selling carpet. So through so so through that, um, I ended up doing that for a couple of years, which was good. You know, sort of reasonable performer in terms of got some good figures and and uh, you know, like it worked well like that first year I was able to save a deposit for a house so shows you how much life's changed <laughs> you know. as, a, as an 18, 19 year old yeah, yeah so I bought a house before I turned I think it was just before I turned 19 we, we bought <laughs> my, that my daughter's shaking her head right <laughs> yeah well I, it's quite yeah. funny because it just saw it going up for sale it's like sevenfold increase you yeah. know and um, what did you pay uh, for that do you remember? 90 grand yeah so Where 89 and a half uh, South Frankston yeah, so just oh, up off Car yeah. Street for those that know that area. Yeah. So yeah, Good a little. Spot, uh, eh? Yeah, so it was it was quite funny, but uh, yeah, you God. sort of reflect on it. Yeah, well, it's, it's changed. It's, the, but it's really you know obviously having a sense of you know setting yourself up and you know the good foundations that you know getting getting into the property market at such a young age is such a good thing to have, oh, you know, allows you to borrow you know for and, business and other things yeah and sales obviously enables that in the sense it's a well-paid job so you know if you perform generally speaking it's a well-paid well-paid career so you do you do get that opportunity of reasonably good earnings pretty quickly which I was able to do through commissions and stuff so sort of saved a bit and living at home obviously you know so that was good, and back in the day, went to Aussie Home Loans uh, to get the loan when they were just coming get, out of the ground. Back when with, they were, yeah. they weren't a broker so much as they were lending their own money. Yeah, low doc lay. loans. Yeah. yeah. No, well, the, this one was um, it was quite funny because I hadn't worked long enough, and they made my mum go guarantor. So I remember that on the. Uh, on were you getting uh, cashies at the footy by this stage? No, no, no. no. I, I'll tell you, I can, I can uh, put it on the record. I never got paid for playing footy. I did, I didn't take money from the club. I was fortunate I didn't need to and yeah. uh, sponsored the, you know, sort of part of the negotiation for sponsorship. And yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's, because um, local footy, it's all about, you know, a lot of people that it's, they can't afford to get injured because, yes. they, you know, they can't work then yeah. and they're not earning well, a buck. So. better players than I got, uh, got looked after. There's some, there's some big, yeah, big numbers get chucked around. Mate, you must have been a good salesman if you, if you ripped out a deposit for, even for 90 grand house. Yeah, it was okay. Like it's, uh, it's quite funny that, you know, sales budgets, 20, 
something years later are still about what I was doing then and I laugh. The average <laughs> price and the products we sell are more expensive in terms of, you know, a lot more timber flooring and the like. But yeah, yeah. no, I do right. But we had, you know, I, I was fortunate family, you know, connections in a people and, and the like so yeah, I've got, I got depth, a rails run let's say that but your depth, your depth of knowledge if you're on the tools during that period you'd know what the hell you're talking about as well which always helps yeah and I think when you're young I think you know like it you're naturally more honest and more authentic and I think people appreciated that you know mm. the dem it's fortunate if you if you get that click with the demographic that helps so, yeah yeah so it was a but yeah I, I don't think anyone's doing that now though like no. I think the multiple of uh, house values doesn't match salaries. If I think about the sevenfold yeah. in the house, the the uh, the salary might have doubled or something. Yeah. yeah. So. Ali's first house is going to be a nine million dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, and yeah, started, it's a scary, uh, scary world out there. Yeah. And and so then just you know working for other people and you know doing well at that. You've twenty one. You know most twenty ones twenty one year olds are just worrying about where they're going to the pub on a Friday night and yeah. things like that. You decided to start a business. Yeah. So. Like there's a series of reasons, opportunities, and it was sort of one of those moments where let's let's do it. And um, guy who'd uh, worked for my dad, who was a uh, worked for me, for, he was keen to keen to be involved, and so we kicked off a business in um, launched May 2000, which was right after the the world had just boomed because everyone was buying stuff pre GST, thinking everything went up. So we opened it uh, definitely at the wrong time. But uh, Chris had a, a fantastic salesman, a really, really high performer in and around the uh, commercial space, so dealing with builders. He had a long career in in that um, in that marketplace as such or in that segment. And so Chris was uh, able to you know, bring clients on board and we had some clients in the first home buy grant. Yeah, there was a lot mm. of, you know, like every business story, I think you know, people life, there's not luck along the journey in, in yep, terms yep. of that. And that was one of the things that we were able to, um, the mix changed dramatically from you know sort of retail to being more commercially focused. And then we were able to grow the commercial sales and you know, some of the clients that we were doing work for really grew during that time. You know, so some that were much, much smaller builders who then became you know, builders doing a thousand homes a year. So as a supplier, you're the beneficiary of that. Mm. And it gave us huge organic growth. We're having to go win clients. so. We had, a, we had a pretty good run on the back of that. So when you started out, you know, you're 21, you're, you're managing people, recruiting people. Yep. You know, how was the, the early days of managing a team? Because you, you sort of, yeah. you, that's something you definitely learn along the journey is the how to manage a team. So what was... Yeah, I, I <laughs> wouldn't go back and uh, put it in a handbook. Let's just <laughs> say that, you know, if I think about things that, uh, you know, from yeah, Christmas parties to all the things that, you know, wouldn't uh, wouldn't fly today. But that's that's the world and it changed, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, I remember just like our installers, obviously a big part of the business is your installation team and, you know, like the the golf days and then they went back to the warehouse and we had sumo suits and bucking broncos or god knows what <laughs> yeah all these sorts of crazy things that you you know you did when you managed tradies you know they loved it loved getting them a drink and that was sort of their their way of letting the hair down at the end of the end of the year and that that's obviously not how it is today you know the world it's um yeah, yeah but the laws but I, are, as well as you know just society norms have changed that that's right but i guess and some of the learning, like you, you would have had people that weren't going to make it. You're 21, you know, yep. they're, they're possibly, probably older than you, a lot of them. And, yeah. you know, as you're going through and you sort of have to deal with underperformance and stuff, learn how to manage that. How did you go with that? Well, I always remember getting the feedback. I got dropped for a grand final at footy. And um, I remember the coach, I respected him. I still know him and uh, and like him, you know, and, 
uh, it was one of those things. He didn't muck around. He was honest. Told me, that, you know, told me up front why. Uh, yeah, the outcome, and and then yeah. So I always sort of felt if you're going to deliver some really bad news, you better to be up front mm. about it mm. than sort of, you know. So I probably applied a bit of that, and that's that sport parallel learning. You know, I talk about. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, we were fortunate. Yeah, you know, when you're a growing business, we didn't have a huge staff because you're doing the work we were doing. Most of it was uh, it was sort of adding people, not so much. There was yeah, you, know, you have minor amounts of change, but you yeah. don't have, you haven't got you know fifty, eighty, hundred people or something like that. So it's a it's a bit different. A bit was different. your brother in this as well? Did, yeah, yeah. Right? So Adam was around from day one um, in in the business in the sense that um, like the structure sort of changed over time. But Adam was he'd gone down installation. Um, I suppose career path like he um, uh, was doing installing originally he was going to do engineering university and then the mechanical engineering I think it was there was no job pathway and he, he dropped out of that and went the trade route so he was installing and uh, and what have you at that time so yeah and then and then over like it was like a transition over oh, a few years like as a business grew created opportunity off the tools doing estimating and other other parts to yeah you know, to then obviously stepping off uh, fully uh, probably about oh six something like that maybe I can't remember now so, so what know, do you, six ha- years in how yeah, do you split it all up now but like are the, are the, is he still involved is the yeah, two of you yeah so the business um, in respect of obviously what we've added is the is the stores and you've, that's obviously you know, different structure again so flooring has just sort of been born later on um, mm. and so the originally we. You know, you have a business that was sort of, I suppose, in the same industry, but it was, but not not similar to what you're doing. And then obviously, over time, you just work, find ways to say, okay, it's much can be much more cohesive if we're roughly in similar industry. Let's try and make it all work within a sort of a common management, you know, sort of a common structure. Mm. So, which is, um, yeah, and it, it works. It works. It takes a bit of time, obviously, to to um, understand what the right you know, what the right grounds are for that and you know, make sure you've both got enough independence in your and that goes for any staff as well. You know, you want to make sure that they're you know, they've got enough room to, to exist within their within their roles. So. so give us the timeline for the last twenty three years. So you <laughs> two thousand you start that business. Yep. First store? Uh yeah, so one store, yeah, and then we only ever got to two stores. So in right. that business in that when that, that business at uh, probably, I'm trying to think now, about 2006, something like that, we set one up up in Queensland so to do the South East Queensland. We had some customers going up there. And so Chris, who uh, has been with me from like day one, yeah, like he's in there on day one, Chris jumped, uh, made the move to, to move, or made the, the decision to move up there, if I say that. Yeah, like we spoke about the, what the opportunity was. He was in, uh, up for it and he and his wife moved up. So they moved up to uh, up to the Gold Coast and were up there. So that was like store two, and then that that existed. And then what uh, where it really changed and how it was in '09. So in 2009, um, I was um, bored with the business. Like it was, you know, it was going through its motions, like what you would um, expect. But it was, you know, on a day to day, I was sort of struggling to find the the enjoyment out of it, if mm. that makes sense. It was going going really well. And I was looking for other opportunities. I sort of looked at going back and doing some education, um, done the, the sort of preliminary recognition of prior learning to do an MBA. Uh, someone I know, you know, done that and he found that really good. So I was looking at that, just looking at other things just for 
what does it look like? Um, I suppose it's probably common. And we'd just recently had a first child. So, you know, it was sort of like just point in life. And then um, as a business, we were part of a, a buying group. So this was, I suppose, very common. Uh, it, was a, it was a buying group that was based out of Warrnambool called Independent Carpet Retailers. And um, the guy who owned and ran that business was, he ran it from his farm. It's actually in Woodford, which is about 10 minutes out of Warrnambool. So he ran it from his garage, um, which was effectively, or actually his daughter had a property um, or a house on his property and he took the took the garage and converted that into the office because originally he was running it under his house and mm-hmm. outgrew that. And so we are part of that. And in um, the middle of 2009, uh, and unexpectedly, he was um, wasn't a young man, but he was. He's named Ken Armstrong. He was a uh, uh, really fit guy. You know, didn't drink, didn't smoke. You know, so when I say fit, like healthy in that sense. And he passed away. Had a, some complications post surgery. So we were in that buying group. We were there was um, I can't remember the store numbers, but there was a, there was a fair few stores. You know, if some in every state. You know, and um, the 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 buying group that he was running was sort of left somewhat rudderless if that makes sense because mm-hmm. you know it was sort of very much he dominated the the structure and he was going to live forever so um over a series of months um afterwards some different things sort of occurred and it ended up being that uh myself and uh, and another store uh chris sheen so another chris who was a part who has who had the store in, a store in ballarat it was part of the group chris and i uh, bought the group from his estate in effect mm-hmm. um, his wife didn't want to keep it and we uh, so we bought that buying group which was yeah it was an interesting business it was sort of a bizarre thing it was like a business that was run and coordinated out of a out of a garage down in Warrnambool uh, or Woodford as I said you know and he's doing like 50 million revenue you know <laughs> like a it's strange sort of a very strange sort of a business you know the the archives used to go down the duck shed you know and this very paper it was just yeah crazy sort of a so how many stores in all of that yeah so probably had i think like we cut a heap there was some um you know some some credit worthiness issues and we we instigated some some changes and it was a it was pretty messy time with trying to ensure that the family who you know who were owed, owed some money by a few and cleaning all that up that was a it was a pretty rigorous process. Lots of lawyers and barristers and all the rest of it and learned a lot about the legal system because <laughs> crazily the guy had run it on a handshake. So mm. he'd set the whole business no, up with nice. our... He'd brought them in later, but then some some people and some people owed him, you know, like significant six-figure sums hadn't signed them. So And it, and so it wasn't a franchise, so it was, it, no, was, no. it was just a buying group, so independently branded yeah. sites. Yes, every yeah. store. So what happened then was that um chris and i chris is a really passionate um operator store owner yeah and he and i always got along really well and knew each other well and so we we with the uh steve who had been employed as the to run the group so we were um for us so steve was um heavily involved with with chris and i and some other people in terms of saying okay we need to get a brand that's what people want so we came up with the idea to set a branded option up which had a lot more because there's a lot of things you obviously bring on and, and really launch that parallel and so it was going to be a, a model a and a model b if you like without sort of being a um neither's better it was which one suited and that was the that was the concept to uh to how we did it if if that makes sense and so um we did that we're going through that process and then midway through that process uh we'll be we talking now must be 
June-ish of 2010, uh, we were introduced by one of our suppliers who also operates in New Zealand and said, look, you should speak to these guys. They've just set a group up in the last two years. They've done well. You know, they're a customer of ours. And they introduced us. And uh, and we, we had a chat with them. And that was uh, Flooring Extra in New Zealand. So they'd, yeah, they'd, right. they'd launched in 2008, had some success. There's a whole backstory to how they launched that, which I won't bore you with. But... But we uh, we spoke to them and said, look, you know, we we were we're going through this process, et cetera, et cetera. There was an, an initial uh, connection between us. In terms, of we got along. We went over, had over a few phone calls, so we went over, spoke to them, and we're able to sort of thrash out a framework for how we could see it working. Like we didn't want to be a, you know, a, a sub franchise or whatever of of what they were doing, wanted to run, and they, and equally they ran, uh, they they wanted to do what they were doing. So we came to a, came to an agreement um, over. A, wasn't didn't take that long it probably took i think uh three or four months to sort of just you know to sort of work out how it could work in a way that sort of was uh was right for sort of both parties you know so it suited the two different businesses if that makes sense and i remember at that time we just agreed to uh to do that and then i got diagnosed with lymphoma so i got mm. so i was sitting there going i've just you know like why am I doing all of this? Yeah, <laughs> bit time. crook, yeah. Why have I yeah. just gone and put it all on the line? Yeah, uh, probably should have put a for sale sign up and just gone to the beach. But anyway, so went through uh, went through that. So that all happened in um, late two thousand and ten, and then uh, with the and then we basically the the plan was that flooring extra officially launched in May of twenty uh, two thousand eleven. So right. we, we launched. Uh, so the two stores that you yeah, the Queensland, the Gold Coast, and down here. Yep, they were like. Scott's yeah. carpets or yeah, whatever. Yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they trade under the brand name Major Carpets yeah. or name Major Carpets. Yeah. yeah. And all the others but were But there was no marketing, really, because your yeah. clients were all B2B. So it was all relationship and, yeah, it was all, all built So how did that. you get all these other guys on the bus to do a, spend the money and do a so rebrand? Well, you knew them in the sense of... So, well, first of all, they didn't have to. So right. that, that if we go back... So so out of, out of the original group, about 20, um, about 20 stores opened up on day one. And then over time, some others wanted to see. Like it was, yeah, there were some people that were really enthusiastic for it because they they, they were of the view it was what was needed. And mm. you know, and then there's obviously all the all the obvious things because when you're going in, it's a different to a buying group where you yeah, there's a different level. There's a you know, structured agreement. There's you know, all the stuff that goes with it. So it's a matter of obviously being you know, there's a level of trust, a level level of, a level of understanding, and you know, being able to sort of. I suppose build out what where we were you know going to focus. So we we came from that buying group thinking mindset, and so that was always you know products, and that was always a big part of it. And it was just adding the branding and adding marketing and those things to it. So, and the um the franchising, you obviously personally had been involved. Your parents had a franchise, so, yeah. So you actually understood a little bit about it. So very saw, little, yeah, very, very little, little, very little. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't pay I remember attention. back in the day they had uh, like a. a a logo that was sent which used to look like, like on clear film almost like a projector yep. style you know for yep. using it that was the that was the brand book you know <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> that's all you need so. and so you've uh so early days in you know the and there was so i, I got to f- be transparent we had no desire to be a franchise yeah no that's what so, it's going to yeah. it was a, the buying group so, was, the, no, was we're just dealing, under the same brand we're though. dealing with a lawyer good i won't name him but uh <laughs> good good guy and um he had done a lot of work for us over the journey and he just said look i actually think you might just want to double check because it was a licensing model because mm. that was the word that uh, the guys had used in new zealand and that was sort of more common 
I think we had a competitor or two in the market that used that word, and so we went, okay, no worries. So let's let's. And so he checked it with a with uh, someone he knew, and then it was like, oh, yep, yeah, you're a franchise. Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What? And he goes, and the he F said, word again. Yeah, and, and he said, Look, read that. <laughs> so well, no, he said you need to go find another lawyer. He said, like, we have a position on franchising that that is basically never sign one never signed an agreement and we don't we don't believe in it you know and he just pushed away and that was his default view of uh franchising so so we went uh went to someone else who dealt with it uh, a little bit more and uh yeah understood and there was a huge education like for us because we we're very operational coming from the from the running of the store that was the background to then saying oh you need to have this you need to do this why why you know and so we, we went through all that process to sort of get what was version one of our agreement together and yeah, so it built out over time. And you and you had to obviously, as the franchisor, <laughs> you've yeah. got more obligations. In it's yeah. not just about the franchisees; it's all about disclosure and yeah. what you can and can't do. And and also, I guess people coming into the group and exiting the group, things that you had to do. Did you have to early challenges with any of that? And yeah, I mean, there, there always is. I think that, like you know, inevitably, and like the group structured existed. So you know, when we launched Flooring Extra in 2011, the group was effectively 30 years old. Like it had gone from three people getting together in a lounge room once every three months. But that was sort of the formation that went back to 1981. So in in regards to um, over that journey, stores had come and gone. You know, there's there's obviously businesses you know succeed, failed, ownership transition, all the all the obvious things. But for us, it was really just about. You know, going through and understanding like like making sure you you know if you're bringing someone on there was they had a sort of desire to go where you were wanting to go and that was that's i think a big learning is that piece where someone might be a great business person but not everyone's a great a great fit mm. you know in terms of because you know and helping people understand it, it's not a binary success or failure it's this is our way of succeeding you could do another way you could go do things differently and still succeed and a lot of people view that, you know, when you start talking about frameworks around operations or anything that exists to this day, they sort of, you know, if you if you resist anything where they want to change things, some people think you're saying they're going to fail. And mm. I think that's just a, and it's like, no, there's multiple ways to win. You know, you go to supermarkets, you have, you know, supermarkets doing it one way and other supermarkets doing it another way, you know, or and that exists in all industries. So was it a, was it a big consolidation play, really, for, if like, to grow... When you when you start got your twenty odd stores, yep. were there a, at that time in the early two you know two tens, were there a lot of independent flooring companies that that yeah you know so, like you had in Barry or whatever yeah yeah so there there, there was um, although if I look at if I look back through I haven't done the numbers but we did very few conversions outside of the stores in our group the majority right. of flooring extras that weren't part of independent carpet retailers, flooring stores that exist, were greenfield sites. Right. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing where Flooring Extra New Zealand were almost 100% conversions in at that point. Mm. So, you know, we sort of expected it to be more conversions. Um, and that was probably one one assumption that we were uh, out considerably on. So what's what's the, the, mod, the model? Are they... Flooring extras are they like a, a thousand square meters, plenty display, you yeah. know, um, all sorts of flooring, every type of flooring. Yeah, uh, so we uh, our core categories are like carpet, vinyl, laminate, timber flooring. Used to be bamboo, not so much, but vinyl sheet and vinyl modular. Mm. Some of our stores, a few do some ceramic tiles, but it's not a 
core category. Some stores have rugs. Um, all stores we sell rugs online, but not not through. They're not stocked in every shop. So uh, the model varies a little bit in size because of you know the requirements for on-site warehousing. Mm-hmm. So depending on where you are in metro, that can be a little bit harder. So a store can exist from down at 80 square metres if it's really got to be in a really tight metro location. And through to, yeah, like we've got some stores that are, you know, 1,500 square metres or that, that really large, but they've got significant on-site warehousing, which yep. might support that business, might be strong commercially. So they need to hold a lot more stock, bigger showroom, more office space, all, all of that. And owner So there's a spread, yeah. So we, we've tried to build a model that enables people to succeed in markets of all sizes. Because ultimately the product sold all across the country, so we have you know obviously consistency in positioning and all of those things. But but making sure that the structure enables someone to exist in that town of seven thousand people and still be able to run the store successfully, or exist in you know, a really dense area of Sydney. So and the products yeah. yourself, I know I've heard you talk before about you know early days it was all about carpet. Yeah, um, and and that's evolved with all the different products you're talking. Yeah, about. we're like eighty percent carpet. 20% vinyl pretty much at the when when we first you know in that 2010 2011 period and then that that rolls out so now it's a much more balanced you know sort of spread of products a lot more hard flooring and that's a reflection of a lot of factors obviously fashion trends but it's also Australia's changed a lot with migration and most of our migration has come from Asia in recent years in greater Asia and very few of those countries have wall-to-wall carpet so they're not used to having it like English and yeah, right. the you know some of the European markets and obviously North America. So they're more you know they're more um, I suppose accustomed to having hard flooring and rugs. So that's been a shift in the landscape. So yeah, you know, the, the market's adjusted accordingly. And there's been a lot of consolidation in local manufacturing of carpet for that reason. Yeah, do we make a lot here in in carpet, Australia? Yeah, so in in Australia and New Zealand, the vast majority of what we sell is. Is, uh, is manufactured here. So, And then Melbourne in Australia is the sort of main manufacturing hub. There's other, there's, uh, other manufacturing facilities interstate, there's, you know, for, but certainly Melbourne's sort of the heartland of the carpet manufacturing. Mm. Mate, you've got a lot of moving parts in that business, haven't you? Not really. There's a lot going <laughs> on. Well, yeah, yeah, it keeps you busy. Yeah. Yeah. But as a franchisor and what you were doing and, and beforehand, you've got a real margin focus I would have thought which is what most of your franchisees would probably love about being well, part of the group yeah well we'd like to think they uh, they do and whether they appreciate it they, they may be deep down I mean no one's ever going to tell you <laughs> that you're uh, that you've looked after them and the fees are low but yeah, yeah. we've we've built something that we believe is really um, uh, you know really really competitive in terms of how it's structured and you know I know that um, we, you know, we run you know we have some stores ourselves and we can see the the differences in those and you know in terms of what the fees can and can't be with the way we've set it up so those stores are competitive mm. and that and that enables our stores to be competitive across all market segments too so we've got stores doing you know jobs that can be you know in the you know well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars commercial project work now if the group was set up under a lot of um you know various franchise sort of structures there's no way that could exist because of the royalties involved you just couldn't be competitive so Mm. In that way, I think we've um, found a balance. So, how many stores have you got? You know, over a hundred stores, I think now. But company owned compared to franchise? Um, yeah, oh, look, we're we're more than eighty percent of our uh, of our stores are, are franchised. Franchise. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure the exact split today, but like it, yeah, we've roughly it's probably give or take. I think it might be like eighty eight, 
88, 12, something like that. JVs where you've got an interest with others or no. that, that that was Tried that. early days? Yeah, yeah, uh, we've we've done that, but it doesn't really work yeah. in terms of it's sort of a little bit messy, it's a bit confusing. And so it's, I think we're, we're where we are now is a better, better operator. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, the, the one thing that, you know, is that the stores that we own operate with identical structures and systems and they you know they're doing everything we're asking of the of the uh of the franchisee it's not like it's a different operational structure which i think is you know is healthy and what's the b-hag the big hairy ass goal well domination i think yeah look you know i think that'll eventually you know, land but uh, i think uh in all seriousness it's yeah like australia um i was talking to someone about this last week you know like australia's you know got a really really good outlook you know if you look at like construction's a, a big driver of our marketplace which is really different to some of the other parts of the world in if you look at flooring because the population's not growing whereas here we've got population growth mm. and and with that obviously you've got a growth in um continuous growth in residential construction although it's going through a tough time at the moment but at the end of it we're going to come out and go gee we need more property because mm. there's a shortage and the cost has gone up, you know, in, in terms of, and that will give people confidence as, you know, to invest and bring other buy, you know, for the rentals. And so I think that the next, you know, if I look at the rest of this decade, I'm very, very confident that it's um, going to be very, very strong population growth. Both sides of politics are very much committed to that. It has to be, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that will drive, you know, tailwinds, you know, for us in terms of from an industry point of view. Mm. So I think that that population growth just will continue to increase markets. You know, we've got, and we, as I said, we, there's a lot of space, you know, that we don't exist in here. So our, our, our objectives and focuses in the last year just about, you know, doing, about filling in the gaps, if that's the simplest way of putting it here on a local level, and just refining things. Yeah, we've got, you know, I think that, that you know, you know, wouldn't waste time talking about AI and these things. I think they're sort of overhyped to some degree. But, you know, technology generally is a continuous thing. And so that obviously is going to be a big a big factor in the next few years is just making sure that we're making the right decisions on that front to support the stores so they continue to, um, you know, continue to be, you know, the, the model's right, I suppose, for, for the mm. market, you know, with online. You know, what's the role of online in respect to bricks and mortar? We build around a bricks and mortar model. So yeah, that that'll. Uh, that'll but what we were talking before we started that that you said um, you wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we'll talk about that later then. Um, no, but there, the, I was doing some research for something the other day, and there, there, uh, I forget what the source was, but it was I think a government one. There, eighteen hundred building companies that went under last financial year. Yep. You know, ending a couple of weeks ago. So how do we, we, we've got a housing shortage if there's a housing, how the hell do we fix that, fill that gap? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you've got obviously the, the shortage and the, the reality is that, you know, you've got different sides of government making policy that contradicts the other side. So you've got a planning, um, which is a critical part of the process to getting construction, which seems to be a blockage. Everything I hear coming out is that the planning processes are really onerous, they're slowing down the supply. Yep. And... You know, we, if we really care about the pricing and we're not trying to you know, get the young people out of the market, well, supply and demand's the first fundamental of economics, right? Mm. Like in terms of what, what we need to be doing. So I think we've got to make sure we've, we've got supply meeting demand and that's got to be taken over a longer term view and we've got to be clear about what that looks like. 
if you look at it immediately, like we just copped. It was a tidal wave of obviously inflation that went through as a result of the you know, coronavirus and the associated after effects of stimulus. I think that we've got to be really careful that they don't overreact to something that was a because that can actually create more problems. So, yeah, in respect of that, so I feel like um, consistency is the key. You know, in in terms of ensuring that we have the um, the right volume of of supply, and then yeah, you know, like it's and people having confidence to whether they're first home buyers to they've got to know it. If it's going down in value, they're not going to feel confident putting signing up to a thirty year mortgage. You know, mm. humongous investment for them. And so you and obviously your wholesale business you impacted by some of those eighteen hundred that went under. So have you yeah. navigated your way through? Um, you know, yeah. other people's business failure in a time when you've come out quite yeah, I mean, strong. that's part of it. Like, if you play in that segment, we have stores that do it at a local level. We do it, you know, with, with some larger one, larger clients, which... And the reality is if you do that, you are going to cop some. You know, it's just the, it's just the nature of, of, uh, of the industry. Um, but, you know, over a long period of time, it's been very, very low failure rate. So if you average it, you know, it's in pretty good shape. But yeah, like coming through right now, like it's just working through which are gonna, who's gonna survive. Obviously, a bit similar to like what I mentioned when we started the business. Yeah, if you back the right horses, they'll they'll mm. come through. And I think that's what we're we're seeing now. There's, there's some you, really strong businesses that are. That are you pop. glad you went down the franchising route? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's um, um, no, I know so because it it's been a really enjoyable business. So yeah, there's always obviously. You can look at lots of measurements and and that through you know for for success in different ways but certainly from a personal viewpoint i've enjoyed it and it's been really enjoyable because you yeah you know, you're learning a lot and understanding the how to execute through that model is uh has been really really interesting and you went from um the buying group which is definitely a mindset and my family are in a buying group sort of business as well and then to a franchise where it's about brand yep and so that wasn't something that you were stronger but you've obviously bought into a New Zealand brand concept. Now you've got a really strong brand in the marketplace. You've had to invest into that brand. So how have you gone about, like one, learning yourself about building that brand and two, and then implementing that in the market? Yeah, well, I could probably answer that by going back and saying, if we did it again, like I think the education piece up front. So in terms of, I think the stores didn't understand, a lot of people didn't understand how important the, the collective reputation becomes and the need for consistency and that you know with where the world's going so you just look at you know obviously online and all these things that are moving whereby you know if someone mucks up it's very much you know it can be everyone's i mean it was one of, it's just the world we we live in so making sure people understand what it looks like and therefore i think they can that would would be better it would help in terms of execution because i think that initially some people think you're bringing in rules to because they're things that you're you know that you're wanting for yourself to satisfy yourself as opposed to understanding the why that sits behind them. Mm. So, yeah, I think that side of things is um, probably what we would do differently in execution. But, yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So, I know we're probably running out of time, but your employment strategy, is it around height? Like, <laughs> you, th- who's the guy that came to our conference? <laughs> The, the ops guy. Oh, Lou, yeah. He's fucking huge. Yeah. <laughs> he's bigger than you. No, he's not. No, I've got him. No, we don't have anyone taller than me. That's a uh, policy. So. Well, I shook his hand. No, he he's, scared me. Yeah. 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 He's, he's a big, big boy. Big, he's a good big, guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, we're, we're very fortunate. We've got a good team. And, yeah, I think that's, um, 
you know, it's a big part of it, you know, is having people and making sure that they've, you know, like your team's got to be able to fit with your culture and then be able to operate in that, you know. Yeah. So, and yeah. probably one thing that I've seen is that you're, um, whilst franchising, you, you've been successful in being in franchising and um, obviously reluctant you know, a lot of the people at the start were reluctant and you've got to deal with a whole lot of compliance. So there's, But the relationship with your franchisees is something that you've prioritised and you've yeah. got good relationship with them yeah, on well, the think, way through. Yeah, I think as a, as a, we don't have the churn that, you know, like that mm. exists in other parts for a variety of reasons. People are in the industry for a lot longer period of time, so we want to have stronger relationships. It's funny, like the reluctance I had to some of the franchising I was just thinking about when you're saying just had a conversation with someone in the last couple of days. The reason that they want to open a store is because of the structure and rules. So, yeah, yeah you see the opposite side of the coin after a while. Yeah. But no, I think that, you know, balance and, and consistency in what we do ensures, you know, like hopefully they respect what we do, even if it's not the answer they want. At least we're consistent in terms of what we're doing. And, you know, we like to think that they see us as in the trenches with them. Yeah, well, you've been you've, you've got some long-term franchisees, so yeah. they're obviously. Oh, I think that's a, as a measure of success. Mm, very healthy. They're, they're financially, you know, achieving what they want. They're in regional areas. They're supporting the local clubs and all of that. You know, you see your billboards on mm. footy grounds and all sorts of places. And so, I think all of the great things about franchising, let, allowing those people to come through and and make a good living for their family and support their community, it's been a great thing for you and the business. Um, so well done. Thank you. Yeah. And um, what about next? So, like, I know uh, talking about attracting franchisees, if they don't have experience in your sector, that's always been a bit of a challenge? Yeah, I think so. I think, like, you know, we're a specific industry. There's Everyone thinks everything's more complicated than it is when they're in the industry. You don't understand, you know, you're, not, you're from outside the tent, not inside all that stuff. But I think that, um, like, it's going to be, it's going to be a, and a need is going to be there to be a lot better at training. There's no doubt people's careers will change more often. You know, so the duration of a franchisee will diminish over time, I would imagine, going in the future. And whether kids want to take over family businesses where they've grown up in them, that's something which will also be a challenge you know, that we may may face. So it's going to be interesting. But And, and obviously that you know, we've got a lot more people who haven't grown up in Australia who are coming into Australia who are then looking to go into business. And so it's helping them understand and just, you know, the, the various operational and cultural sort of, I suppose, um, pieces and delicacies to each area that they, you know, that they need to understand. And another thing for you is that, you know, you've grown up in, in a sales background, in a retail background, in a wholesale background, but you're also interested in innovation and, and technology. And you've, you know, you talk about within your own business, you've had to think about, well, I've got a product here and I've got a service over here and how can I make it easy for my franchisees yeah. which you've done and then you know you're involved in another business you've invested in hatch and so another business yeah. that's involved with technology and and seeing things differently so is that something that's always been the innovation and technology you're interested in or yeah i think so i think like you know naturally i'd like to think i'm entrepreneurial and see so you always sort of looking ahead in that regard and and then you're sort of thinking about how things are going to change and you know if you Work around, walk around with your eyes open. You, you see changes, and our industry's downstream from a lot. I remember learnt this, you know, back in in the nineties when I first started selling. When you know, like my dad said, and he goes, oh, "Look at this! They're selling air conditioners at the time at Clive Peters with a pay by the week repayment plan." And then you know, like talking about boats, you know, like it was like boats went to pay by the week. So you know, all of a sudden, then we did some. You know, I remember pretty early on in the early two thousand, we offered you know retail, like you know, you're offering a pay by the week carpet 
plan. And so those things, you know, you can learn from others. We, as I said, we, we're a little bit slower on the uptake. There's some faster moving segments. So I think they're, they're all little things. But tech's obviously a huge thing. But I, I'm not a believer it comes in the mega waves that people sort of make out. I think it's just continuous, you know. Yeah. Mm. Everything. Tech, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's been disruption going on forever. Yeah. And I, and I guess another thing for you is that whilst you didn't go down the, you know, go and get a degree in an MBA, you taught, you sort of dabbled in it, you have got this thirst for learning and the, you know, being involved and around people through YPO and other groups, yeah. you know, you've, you've taking on ideas from other sectors and stuff. So what, what have you got out of yeah. that? Oh, I think like, like YPO is an amazing organisation. I think they're, um, you know, in terms of how they, um, you know, how it's set up, I suppose, the foundations of it and the fact that it, you know, touches all the aspects of your life, your personally, your family, and then uh, and then your business. So I think that, that the view across or the, the sort of, I suppose, that three-tiered view is, is really good in terms of and how they all intersect. But certainly the network, you know, like locally here in Melbourne, you know, has been fantastic, you know, in terms of, and just the opportunities to learn from other experienced business people, you know, who are succeeding in, you know, whether it's in as software in the really fast moving or it's people in some of the really slow moving, you know, talking to people who are in the, you know, farming, agriculture, you know, industries that are thousands of years old in terms of, an, and so you, you can just see such differences and you can learn from all of them mm. in terms of how they're, how they're operating, which I think is really, really important. And I, um, you know, doing a little bit of research, Googling and found uh, an online interview of you as a rock star in camp, business world of <laughs> Cambodia. So... You know, tell us about the the. Uh, uh, I think you know maybe. Yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> so I'll give you the abridged version. Defensive. Uh, uh, no, no, no. It was uh, it was good. So we went over uh, through with uh, some uh, friends of mine from YPO. We went across. We went forum together, and we went across one of our uh, one of our members, uh, Matt Care. He runs a business which is in the real estate industry. So he runs the uh, real estate portal over there. So. Um, we went over visited his business. Um, they really successful in that market, and through that, we met with a couple of um, companies that they're interconnected within that local, you know, in that local industry, you know, property development, and the like. So it was good. It's something we do because obviously we meet you know, regularly here, and he'll talk about his business. But to go and actually, be, you know, visit his office in that particular, they're in a, f- a fair few emerging markets. So it's quite an interesting business but Cambodia they they really got a dominant or strong position so yeah. probably not going to open a flooring extras retail site in Cambodia in the I short I think they're time. a little a little short but they're certainly um, <laughs> not tall enough yet. no yeah. no no yeah no I think that the the similarities for for us with you know being obviously built around a retail proposition and less about you know like a unique product the product matches the market but it's very unlikely you could expand any of those markets because they don't really have anything. It's it's all supplied through builders. So if you were looking at the business opportunities, it's mostly around the manufacturing of products. Yep. And, they, and they're very aggressive. Cambodia looking for that as Vietnam did years ago, you know, bring manufacturing in. And um, going back to the looping background, we started with family, but back to family. Yep. So obviously you mentioned the lymphoma and health challenges yep. and, and families obviously important you know sport family all of that how yeah. how you you're finding you know running such a, a business with lots of moving parts as john said being able to manage coaching basketball you oh, know yeah. rep basketball yeah, managing the kids things. and all of those things you, you prioritize a lot of that so yeah i think like you know like i remember the saying i don't know who coined it but you know if you want something done give it to a busy person mm. and so i think that you know in a way i think you get more when you're busy you actually become more productive mm. 
because you know you just doesn't you don't have things just filling up that space you know yeah. so in that way i think that's part of it um but you know certainly i think all the things they're all good they take you out you know they get you away from you know just sitting there staring at something endlessly freshens your, your mind up so all those things help so yep and uh yeah are you a good coach uh <laughs> i'm i'm uh, constantly improving <laughs> so, got a good record yeah. yeah well i'm at a volunteer status and i don't think i'll make the cut to the professional level i'm not seeking uh, Next one, to though. be a professional no uh very good um, so how are we going for time well i'm the, my last questions are around tips but if you've got any other things mate i've got shitloads but yeah. no, you, you, go, <laughs> yeah. you wrap it up because i'll ask we'll ask questions come on no 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 look it, it was you know you must be proud of what you built yeah i think that um i don't sit back and sort of you know think about it too often it's not really something i do like you know in terms of you know, just talking about now, like there's components, everything's there. It all sits there you know, in, the, in the front of your mind in terms of what it is, but you don't piece it all together and start thinking about, oh, wow, yeah, we've, what we've done or this or that or all those things. They're just not, I suppose it's just not really something that sort of, you know, occupies my time. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you know, what well, when you internally, whenever you look at things in the, in the segments that you do or the sections that you do, you always... Yeah, you, know, you always, I suppose, recognise what you know the great achievements of people. As I said, you know, from being you know, cust- you know salespeople early on in your first business, being able to win big clients and those sorts of things through you know various milestones all the way through. I think all those things that achieve all the achievements of those people and the team that you got, you know, you celebrate them in their own way. But you don't sort of look at the look at the whole landscape that mm. often. Well, you should be bloody proud of what you built, mate. It's- yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. Still got a few moons to go, hopefully. <laughs> That's the plan. You so. got shitloads. You're right. Only 44. So, yeah. <laughs> you live in a dodgy area. But yeah. yeah no. <laughs> and what about tips for, you know, for maybe a tip for just a, an entrepreneur, someone starting out a business, and maybe one for a franchisor and, you know, an emerging franchisor? Well, I think someone starting a business would be to uh, put the bumpers up and go for a franchise. I think that makes <laughs> sense. You know, it's a safer bet, less gutter balls. Yeah. I mean, the failure rate and, and the like, I think, is, you know, much, much lower. And I think it's a much safer bet, you know. And I, I just don't think the economies for mo- economies of scale for a small business to be able to be compliant. We're living through a world that's going to have more and more rules, you know. Like we face with our products and, you know, more and more about sustainability and, you know, the uh, modern slavery, you know, legal provisions all these things are all coming in a bigger way so a small store is going to really struggle to be compliant with that so I, I, or a small business in in very whatever, various forms whatever industry yeah right? correct yeah it's going to exist across all so i think that a franchise you know is a is a very very good option i genuinely believe that it's the right option then you just got to find the one that's the right fit for you yep and that's why i think hatch has got you know i really believe in what what hatch can do because it's if you're not sure but you have a desire to go into business being matched to a business that suits your profile mm. makes absolute sense yeah. yeah because you just never know and you know so done well i think like a dating app it can work yeah. really well so yeah and what about franchisors so you know you, yeah. i know you, you you get involved in franchise things along the, the way yeah. so what sort of is if you're a franchisor you, you're struggling you're not sure what to do you've got five franchisees or ten franchisees you know what would you say to them to to keep plugging away well, I think it's ultimately, you know, they've got to be able to go out and get the feedback and come back and make decisions. That's what you've got to do. So you've got to listen to all the various stakeholders, you know, and the like. So you've got to listen to your franchisees, understand, you know, keep your finger on the pulse as to what's going on and understand what they're going through. I think that, 
if you spend all your time sitting in an office and you're not actually facing the real world, mm. I think that's a dangerous position. I heard a yep. quote by um, of Solomon Solly Lou, you know, where he did he called it the MBWA, where it was management by walking around, yeah. and he was talking about that was the failure of Meyer or whoever it was, and he goes and visits his store, understands what's going on in them, understands the challenge, and I think yep. that's the key, you know. Because it's yeah. very easy theory, and in reality is is very different. So no matter how big you get, you need to understand what's going on on the ground. So, I think I think yeah. the successful franchise also connected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Whether Absolutely. that's running a store or whether it's actually visiting the store. I think just yeah. yeah, they're just getting they're getting feedback from the you know from the coalface without without it being you know filtered up through you know people who might might mm. choose to. Um, you know, leave stuff out. I just yeah, because it definitely gets diluted on the way back to you. Yeah, so, yeah. and every every system you know from is going to have a, a different way of doing that. But I, I just think that's the most important thing, because I think the person that's gone into a franchise, if you've got five or ten franchisees, you know, then obviously it's listening and it's making sure and just you know being prepared to sort of you know trust themselves and their decisions, go going through that, you know, make decisions, listen, and, and keep keep plowing forward. Good. Awesome. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for no your worries. time. No problem. Yeah, Scott, you know. Pleasure. Well done, mate. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Cheers. Cheers.